Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Counterculture, a study of the Sermon on the Mount. Here's Pastor Nick. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is laying out the foundational principles of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a disciple of him. And what Jesus lays out for us here is a way of living, a way of being, a way of relating to God and to others, which is absolutely countercultural. It really, in many ways, flies in the face of, of everything that our culture says and believes and teaches us. You know, the fact is that if you want different results, you've got to do different things. I remember I had this one friend who used to always say this saying. He said, if you keep pushing the same button and there's no peanuts coming out, well, then maybe it's time to try pushing a different button. And I think that's kind of where our society is at, don't you think? As, as a culture, that's where we're at. We've been pushing the same buttons for a long time, and no peanuts are coming out. And it's time that we push a different button. And Jesus here is going to show us a different way, a way that is counterculture, but a way that he promises is the way that leads to true life and true fulfillment and true joy. In this way of following Jesus and being a disciple of him, it is countercultural. But it is the way that leads to true life, true joy, and fulfillment both now and forever. This morning we come to what is really almost like the highest point of the Sermon on the Mount. There's almost no other part of the sermon that is more challenging in which the Christian counterculture is so apparently countercultural. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. The title of today's message is The Law of Love. You know, America's an interesting place. I read in the Washington Post an article about, you know, how different countries' students stack up against each other in standardized tests. And so American high school students, on average, they average around like 15th to 20th, you know, on these standardized tests compared to other students from other countries in the world. But when it came to self-esteem, America just blew everybody out of the water, like, we might not be as smart as they are, but we're way more confident about ourselves than they are, right? Like, whether we should be or not, we feel pretty great about ourselves. That's what it comes down to. Whether it's justified or not, we feel awesome about who we are. So what we lack in smartness, we make up for in self-confidence, in other words. We may not actually be good, but we sure do believe that we're good. In fact, we believe we're the goodest, how does that apply to what I'm saying? Here's, here's what, how it applies. And we left off in our study of the Sermon on the Mount last week in the middle of a large section in which Jesus is talking about what it means to really be a good person in God's eyes. And I think this is a very pertinent topic for our day and age and especially where we live here in America because most people in our society, like I was trying to illustrate there, believe that they are good people. Most people believe, oh, I'm a good person. Even people who really shouldn't believe that they are good people. Like even bad guys think that they are good people in our society. And so the question is, really, we have to define, okay, how good do you actually have to be to be considered a good person? How good, what's the standard that God has in which he says, okay, you are a good person according to this standard? Like what is the standard? 
You know, I said last week, and I'll say it again, polls done of American society show that over 60% of Americans believe, are very confident that when they die, they will go to heaven. And the number one reason given for why these people believe that they will go to heaven is because I'm a good person and I've never done anything that was all that bad. Now the question is, okay, but there has to be a standard by which we define what a good person is. And how good do you have to be to be good enough for God? And so here in this section, Jesus is tackling that question. He's answering that. What does it mean to be good in God's eyes? And what he told us is that to be good in God's eyes, it isn't just about what you do outwardly. It's just as much about what goes on inside of you inwardly, in your heart and in your mind, in your motivations. In other words, Jesus is telling us that what matters is the heart of God's commandments. That it's not just outward, strict, technical obedience, but there's a heart to the commandments. And, and in order to actually obey the commandments, you have to actually get to the heart of the commandment and obey the heart of it. And what is the heart of God's commandments? It is what we might call the law of love. That's our title again this morning. So Jesus put it this way. He said this, All of the law and the prophets can be summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love your neighbor. What that means is that the point, the purpose, the goal of each and every one of God's commandments, the heart of all of the commandments, every single one of them, is love for God and love for others. And so what that means is that to the degree, so the degree to which you are truly following God's commandments is measured by how much your actions express love for God and love for other people. Let's look at some examples uh, as we go on. Jesus in this section gives six examples. We looked at two of them last week. We're going to look at the next four this week, which will bring us up to the end of chapter five. So please read with me Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 31. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So I remember growing up, I remember noticing and thinking, and now even as I reflect back, that out of all my classmates and my friends, I only knew a very few, like I could count them on one hand, friends whose parents were not divorced. In fact, and what this means is that it was more normal for me growing up for my friends' parents to be divorced than for them not to be divorced. And I guess you could say that in our day and age, having a healthy, thriving marriage is counter-cultural. And it certainly is part of this Christian counter-culture that Jesus is teaching us here in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, let me add this. If you think that high rates of divorce are something that is unique to our day and age, you need to think again. You need to get some historical perspective on divorce because what you may not realize is that at the time when Jesus lived, divorce was rampant, super common. In fact, one historical commentator I read, he said that divorce in this society, not just in, in Israelite society, but in the Greek society around them, it was chaotic, Meaning that, that's just how rampant it was. And in some ways, their culture of divorce was worse than what we have here in our day. And let me explain to you why. Because divorce was, uh, it was very common in the ancient world, but it was not equitable. Meaning that men could divorce their wives, but women could not divorce their husbands. And so to be a divorced woman was a huge stigma. It made life incredibly difficult for a woman who was divorced, but 
a divorced man, to be a divorced man was really not a problem. Like it wasn't a big deal because men were the ones who did the divorcing and they could just get remarried and, and then continue on divorcing and do whatever they wanted. So, so for a woman, it was bad. For a man, it didn't matter. And men had the right to divorce and women didn't. And so for that reason, here's what happened. Divorce and even just the threat of divorce became a major tool of manipulation and cruelty that men would use against their wives in order to control them and subjugate them. I mean, think about it. He would basically say to his wife, or at least communicate to her in some way, if you don't give me what I want, when I want, and if you don't look good while you're doing it, then I'm gonna divorce you and I'm gonna go find somebody else. and It'll be no problem for me, but it will ruin your life. So you better do what I say and do how I want it. Because otherwise, you know, you're gonna be stigmatized in society and your life will be messed up. And so they knew no woman wanted this, and so this threat of divorce and divorce itself, it became a tool of manipulation and cruelty uh, from men against women. Now, not all husbands were like that, but enough of them were. Uh, and the thing in Israel, right, was that they had an Old Testament commandment about divorce and marriage. And this commandment is found in Deuteronomy chapter 24. And what it says there is that it gives permission for divorce. And what it says is that if a man finds uncleanness, and that's the word it uses, uncleanness in his wife, then he can issue her a certificate of divorce and divorce her. Now, think about that. There's a lot hinging, isn't there, on what that word uncleanness means. Like, how do you define what is uncleanness? Now, the historical, traditional teaching on this was that uncleanness meant marital unfaithfulness. And that's the definition that Jesus uses here as he brings us back to the heart of the law. But around the time of Jesus, there was a rabbi named Hillel. And he taught that uncleanness could be anything that the wife did which caused the husband displeasure. And by doing that, what Hillel did was he opened the door for the Jewish men to feel justified in marrying and divorcing women as much as they wanted and for whatever reason they wanted to. So you can see this illustrated in Matthew chapter 19 where again Jesus has asked this question about divorce. It says there in Matthew 19 verse 3 that the Pharisees came to him and they asked him this question, is it permissible to divorce your wife for any reason? Now that wording is, is important, any reason, because that's literally what they would do and that's what this guy Hillel taught and his teachings were very popular especially among men, you can imagine. Now, literally, they, Hillel would say, look, if, your wife, if a wife burns her husband's food, that's grounds for divorce because she has now become unclean in his eyes. Another actual teaching of Hillel was that if a man saw another woman who he considered more beautiful than his wife, well, then in comparison, his wife had now become unclean in his eyes and he could give her a certificate of divorce and send her away. And what they were saying, you know, and what they would say is, you know, God's commandment requires that you give a woman a certificate of divorce, the legal document when you divorce her. And that is, you know, what you got to do if you're going to do it. In other words, they thought the only point of God's heart on marriage and divorce was that you provide the proper legal documentation. Right, and so here comes Jesus, and he says, no, you're missing the heart. You're missing the heart. And, and remember, Jesus isn't just going off here on marriage. He's, or marriage and divorce. He's using divorce as an illustration to illustrate his point, and his point is that at the heart of each and every one of God's commandments is this one central thing, love for God and love for other people. And he's using this as an example. In other words, he's saying this, do you guys think that really all that God cares about in regard to marriage is that you provide 
proper legal documentation when you divorce your wife? That's not the heart of God for marriage. No, God's concern is love and fidelity. And this practice of just getting divorced and remarried to different people all the time, it completely disregards God's heart for marriage. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. There's nothing loving about treating a woman in that way. And the point of the commandment, the heart of the commandment, is not legal documentation. The heart of the commandment is love. And he says, you're breaking the heart of the commandment. Jesus is saying, God's heart for marriage is that you would be faithful to your spouse. That if you marry somebody, that you would treasure them, that you would cherish them, that you wouldn't try to manipulate them by threatening divorce or threatening to ruin their life if they don't do what you want. If you're married, don't, don't be keeping your eye out for someone better. Love your spouse and cherish them. And I would say that in our day and age in which it's no longer the case that only husbands can divorce their wives, but now wives can also divorce their husbands, I would say that this same principle applies to women as well. I think that women need to to take heed to this as well. In other words, this is the deal. Divorce is not something that should be used as a tool of manipulation. You know, I think this happens a lot in, uh, in many of you who are married. Maybe you've been there, you know. You know, married couple gets in an argument and one of them says, I don't know why you even married me. I mean, if you just dislike me this much, then why don't you just divorce me? And then the other one says, well, maybe you're right. Maybe we should get divorced. I mean, we're in a so miserable being together. And of course, what they're both trying to do is get the other one's attention. But what they're doing, they're just doing it in a way that is so unhealthy. Because once you played that divorce card, it's like Pandora's box. You can't, you can't take that back. Once you put that card on the table, you can't put it back in your hand, right? And so my advice for married couples is never, ever use that word. Never. Don't play that card. Don't use that. That's a, don't use that as a tool of manipulation. That is not loving to your spouse and it is not honoring to God and his design and purpose in marriage. Now in verse 32, Jesus makes these statements in which he links unjustified divorce with adultery. Now what, what's the point of what he's saying here? Here's the point. He's saying that illegitimate divorce gives place to adultery because God does not recognize that divorce. The state may recognize it, but it, it's not recognized by God. Jesus is bringing us back to the heart and the intent of God's commandments, which is love for God and love for others. And his emphasis here is on the permanency of marriage and the wrong of unjustified divorce. And let me tell you what, that went so much against the culture of that day. It flew in the face of the culture of that day in which there was this practice of easy divorce all the time. And so I believe it's also countercultural in our day. To, to emphasize permanency in marriage and the wrong of unjustified divorce. So let's continue from verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head for... Uh, you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. 
So one of the Ten Commandments was, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And so people, you know, they had these debates. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to take the name of the Lord your God in vain? And they said, well, well, one instance would be, if you made an oath, in other words, and you swore to God, you say, I swear to God that I'm going to do this or that this is true or whatever. And they said, if you swear to God and then you don't do what you said or you break your oath or you say something that's not true, well, then that would be taking the name of the Lord in vain. And so here's what they came up with. They came up with a system uh, to kind of give themselves permission to lie. And here's what they would do. They would say, if you take an oath and you swear to God, then you have to keep that oath. But... If you swear by anything else, you know, like the clock on the wall or the, you know, the ground on the, you know, dirt in the ground or whatever, then you're not required to keep your promise and you can literally like straight up lie to people to their face. It's like, you know, the equivalent is like when you're a kid and you would cross your fingers and then you, you got carte blanche, man. You can do anything you want. Like you can lie to people's face as long as you got your fingers crossed behind your back. You can promise to do things and you'd be like, you didn't see it. My fingers are crossed. Sorry, I don't have to do that. That's exactly what they were doing. That's exactly what they were doing. They would say, if you swear to God, then you are obligated to keep the promise. But otherwise, I mean, you could swear according to anything else, and you don't have to keep your word. And so here Jesus comes along, and he says, that is absolutely ridiculous. It flies in the face of the commandment, which is to love God and love other people. And you honor God and you love others by telling the truth and keeping your word. Jesus says, if you want to do something completely countercultural, here's what it is. I want you to say what you mean and mean what you say all the time. And I want you to be people of integrity. You shouldn't have to back up your statements with any kind of qualifiers, right? You should just tell people the plain truth. That is what honors God, and that is what is most loving towards other people. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now the law of Moses does teach this principle. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And you know, some people look at that and they say, that is just absolutely barbaric, right? How terrible. But let me tell you this. If you think that that is barbaric, that's because you do not understand it in its proper context. See, this saying is found in Exodus chapter 21, verse 24. And the context there is this. It was a rule, it was a guideline given to the judges of Israel. And that's the important part. It was given to judges as a limitation on excessive penalty. Because what is our human tendency, right? Our human tendency is, if you poke out my eye, then I'm gonna poke out both your eyes. If you knock out one of my teeth, I wanna see all your teeth knocked out, right? That's our human tendency. And so the law of Moses very wisely came in and said, no, the punishment must fit the crime. There is not permitted to have excessive retribution. And the penalty should always fit the crime. It was a principle, again, given to judges for how to govern how they ruled and prosecuted people who committed crimes. But what had happened over time is that people had taken that saying out of context, which is what 
often gets people into trouble in regard to the Bible, right? They took that saying out of context and they began to use this as a rule regarding personal conflict. In other words, if somebody insults you, then insult them right back. If somebody knocks out your tooth, then you should knock out their tooth. You gotta understand that's taking out of context. This was meant to be a guideline for the judges of Israel and how to practice punishment of people who committed crimes. This was a law intended for civil governance and not for personal relationships. But Jesus says here, here's what he says. In your personal relationships, I don't want you to practice an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You all have no teeth and no eyes. In your personal relationship, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, then turn to him the other one also. Now that's a very difficult saying, isn't it? But, but here's, here's something to think about. It's very interesting that Jesus says this phrase. Have you ever noticed this? He says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, now, assuming that most people are right-handed, if you're going to punch somebody in the face, you're probably going to hit their left cheek with your right hand. If you're going to slap somebody with an open-handed slap with your right hand, it's going to hit them on the left cheek. So how in the world do you hit somebody on the right side of their face with your right hand? Well, there's one way, a backhanded slap. And a backhanded slap in that culture was an insult. It wasn't a physical assault on somebody to injure them. It was an insult to their person, their character. It was a dismissive slap. And we kind of got this comic picture, right, that we get from, uh, you know, I guess it would be the romantic period, you know, Victorian era where, where the gentleman takes off his glove very slowly and then slaps the guy across the face. That's what we're talking about here. It's an insult. It's not meant to cause physical injury. But it is meant to insult a person. And so that's very important in understanding what Jesus is saying here. Because many people have been confused by this saying. They've wondered, is what Jesus teaching here that the Christian way to respond to evil or to, you know, abuse is to just be a doormat? Just like never defend yourself. If someone wants to hit you in the head with a baseball bat, then let them hit you in the head twice. What about a woman whose husband strikes her? Should she just tolerate being, being beaten by her husband and let him do it some more, right? If a person hits you with a baseball bat, should you just stand there and let him hit you some more with a baseball bat? That's not at all what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is this. In your personal relationships, if someone insults you, don't insult them back. Don't retaliate. Like, here's an example. When you're driving and someone cuts you off, so what do you do? You speed up. And you get in the other lane and then you cut them off, right? Teach them a lesson. No, Jesus is saying, no, don't do that. Just let it go, man. Someone says something to you that hurts your feelings, so you take a jab right back at them. No, don't do that. Don't retaliate. Oh, well, you know, if you're gonna treat me that way, well, then I'm gonna treat you the same way. I'm gonna give you a taste of your own medicine. You're gonna see how it feels. Jesus says, no. Don't return evil for evil. Leave vengeance, leave retribution, leave that up to God. That's his prerogative, not yours. Don't return evil for evil, but instead, here's what I want you to do. Overcome evil with good. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that we should be weak in the face of evil. Rather, what Jesus is saying is that we should have the strength of character, the incredible strength of character to not retaliate when people hurt us. That is not weakness. That takes incredible strength of character. That requires a love for that other person 
which is more powerful than your desire to satisfy yourself in the moment by lashing out and striking back at the person who has insulted you or hurt you or offended you. And let me tell you what, that is incredibly countercultural, isn't it? The majority of our culture says, if somebody hurts you, if somebody insults you, then get them back. Treat them the same way. Give them a taste of their own medicine. If someone cuts you off, you should cut them off. If someone insults you, if someone slaps you, you should slap them back. Jesus says, no, do not return evil for evil. Be willing to bear an insult without retaliating or striking back. That's what Jesus is saying here when he says don't resist the person who is evil. Now understand, Jesus is not saying that evil should never be resisted. He's not saying that the Christian thing to do is allow other people to abuse you or mistreat you or walk all over you. Jesus demonstrated with his life that evil must be resisted. That was the whole point of his life, that evil must be resisted, that evil should absolutely be resisted, and that resisting evil is part of doing the will of God, and resisting evil is a key part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So Jesus isn't saying that evil should never be resisted. What he's saying is that the way to resist evil in the area of personal relationships, the way to resist evil is not to respond with evil, You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.